Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You heard there, Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look around the Asian stock markets this morning. The ASX 200 in Australia up half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 down 1%. Similar story for the Cosby in South Korea, also off 1%. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open around about flat in uh, in an hour's time. Commodities are slipping further, though, in Asian trading this morning. Brent crude oil at $60.79 a barrel and gold at $1,727 an ounce. Thank you for listening. Do stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Anna Fenton in just one moment. The weather forecast, mostly cloudy, sunny periods during the day, maximum temperature of about 24 degrees. And then the outlook is sunny periods with temperatures rising in the next couple of days. going to become humid over the weekend and rather warm during the day. It's 19 degrees right now, 70% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. Washington has played down the first missile test by North Korea under the Biden administration, saying the United States is still open to dialogue with Pyongyang. Here's the BBC's Tom Watts. U.S. officials have confirmed to reporters that North Korea fired two short-range missiles last weekend. There's been no word about the test from either Pyongyang or Seoul, and the Pentagon in Washington has said nothing officially. This would be the first missile test by North Korea since President Biden took over the White House in January. Last week, Pyongyang condemned Washington for going ahead with a scheduled military exercise with South Korea. President Biden has urged U.S. Congress not to wait another minute to bring in a ban on assault rifles and tighter checks on gun owners. He said he'd been devastated by another killing spree in Boulder, Colorado on Monday when a gunman shot dead 10 people at a supermarket. Mr. Biden said there must be common sense steps to save lives, calling it an American issue, not a partisan issue. But Senate Minority Leader Republican Senator Mitch McConnell struck a more cautionary note when it came to possible gun control. There have been deep-seated philosophical differences between Republicans and Democrats about how to deal with gun violence. One thing we do know for sure is that these shooters are invariably mentally incapacitated. Mentally incapacitated. This is a vexing problem that is extremely hard to identify in advance. Police in Colorado have charged a 21-year-old man with 10 counts of murder. Humanitarian organizations working in a Rohingya refugee camp in Bangladesh say Monday's devastating fire destroyed health facilities, nutrition centers and schools, in addition to 10,000 shelters in which the refugees lived. The International Organization for Migration said its largest health center was gutted. It said the loss would further complicate the organization's response to COVID-19. At least 11 people died. The chief field officer for UNICEF in Cox's Bazaar, Dr. Ezzatullah Majid, said people were trapped by security fencing put up by the Bangladesh authorities. According to them, it was installed for the better security of these refugees. However, now we see that in such cases like this fire, this become a big obstacles for the people to escape and also for the help and fire teams to come and to help the people. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. Anna Fenton. Anna, good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. COVID issues again today. Carrie Lamb says she will personally look into whether the city's three-week quarantine requirement for inbound travellers can be brought into line with other places, confessing that the rules are taking a huge physical and psychological toll on people. She also said her administration was looking up to open vaccination scheme to everyone aged 16 or older, depending on the supply of vaccines. Patrick Nip, meanwhile, has cautioned that the number of people coming forward for shots meets only half the daily capacity and urged the city to pick up the pace if it wants to achieve herd immunity sooner and open up travel again. Given the current rate, some experts have, have estimated it may take 300 days before Hong Kong achieves herd immunity. Well, what do you think of reducing the quarantine period, increasing the age range? Uh, who are the people who shouldn't get the vaccine? Does the same apply to the second jab? Can we have mixed jabs? When will we have herd immunity? Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments. Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. You can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or you can call us. And our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. In the second part of the programme, we'll be talking to a family physician and uh, a professor of uh, microbiology from the uh, University of of uh, Hong Kong. If you've got questions uh, of that kind, that's for the second part of the programme. We're joined uh, once again in the first part of the programme by uh, Benjamin Cowling, a professor and head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. So if you've got a question for Professor Cowling, then uh, get it in, please, uh, before nine o'clock. One quick comment. This is from Jimmy. This is unrelated, uh, with the subject America the Beautiful. In the light of the recent well-documented uh, public mass murders in America, uh, as an American uh, HKSAR permanent resident, I feel the need to remind my fellow Hong Kong citizens that America remains under its time-tested constitution, a huge landmass, the home of the free, and America the Beautiful. Bad news is not restricted to a single nation. Further bad news does a nation make. Come to America, rent a recreational vehicle and see the USA. And there's some pictures to go with that as well. That is from uh, Jim. Uh, Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, thanks so much indeed for, for joining us. So quite a lot of things kind of on the table. What about the, the question of the, of the quarantine? Because um, this seems to be a little bit controversial um, uh, with different experts saying different things, frankly, about the, the need for a three-week quarantine. Where do you stand on this? Uh, I look at other places that have done very well with a two-week quarantine, like Australia, New Zealand and Taiwan. So we know that in the past year, Australia's had a number of outbreaks of COVID into the community. They've been able to get to zero. They've been able mostly to stay at zero, but they've had a few episodes when infections got in. Uh, but those infections that have come into, into the community in Australia haven't been because of someone going beyond quarantine in their incubation period. It's because of leakages during the quarantine period, like the hotel staff not being careful enough or, or some mistakes being made. In mainland China, they have 14 plus 7, 14 days in a hotel and then maybe 7 days at home. And that may be a good, uh, a good solution for Hong Kong to consider going forwards. Now, in Hong Kong, I know we've picked up a few cases on the day 19 test. So an yeah. arriving person is tested on arrival on day 12 and then on day 19. I don't know why they're not tested on day 7 as well. I think they should be. But anyway, on arrival, day 12 and day 19. And of all the people that have come into Hong Kong... Uh, in recent months and have been infected. The majority are picked up on arrival. A minority are picked up on day 12 and then just 
2% or 3% are picked up on day 19. It's not clear to me if those day 19 positives, if those people would really have been contagious if they'd been in the community at the point when, when they were shedding virus on that day 19 test. I have a suspicion, maybe not really. Um, and I, I think the 21 days is really tough for, for people to think about com coming back into the city and then having 21 days in a room. Well, the reality, um, Professor, is that if you're coming back from Ireland, South Africa or the UK, it's six weeks because you've got to actually hang around in another country for three weeks before you come to Hong Kong. Yeah, well, of course. So I, I think that's putting a lot of people off travel. But I understand the rationale for having a quarantine in Hong Kong. I think our aim has got to be to get down to zero cases through social distancing locally and through effective contact tracing and so on. If we can get to zero, then... We want to stay at zero. We look at what's happening in Australia and New Zealand, where they're, they're getting on with their lives. They've got the quarantine for people coming into the countries, but within the country itself, they're opening up again. People are allowed to go out and about. There's really not many restrictions at all. We'd like to have that in Hong Kong. Um, but, but we've got to get to zero first. And then when we're at zero, in order to stay at zero, on-arrival quarantine is a key part of that. What about the question of uh, age, of uh, opening this up to people aged 16 and over, and, and, and the, the pace of uh, vaccination, of the vaccination programme in Hong Kong? Um, I really hope that the pace is going to pick up. I, I, I really hope that a lot of more vulnerable people, older people, are going to go and get vaccinated soon. If we do have a fifth wave soon, then the vulnerable people are going to be at particular risk, as they have been in the past year and I, I really hope the government's going to speed up vaccinations in elderly homes as well because we've seen what happens when there are COVID outbreaks in elderly homes. It's not good uh, and for community dwelling elderly as well and for people that are vulnerable. Um, I, there's a lot of those people and I think they should go first. The original rationale for prioritising those groups of vaccination was that we want to get them covered first and then we'll come down to the less vulnerable people later. But as it's turned out right now, the uptake hasn't been that great so far. A lot of people are waiting. So, I mean, given we got all these doses that we want to use to make up space for the next batch, then I, I can understand the rationale for lowering the age, but I hope it's not necessary. I hope that older people will go and get vaccinated. What do you because think, they can do a lot of good. What do you think people are waiting for? I'm not sure what people are waiting for. So they are definitely waiting to see what happens, maybe looking at other countries to see if there's any reports of side effects they should be concerned about. And, of course, there, there haven't been. There really is nothing to worry about getting vaccination. It's been proven now to be very, very safe. Look at somewhere like Israel, where they've done uh, millions and millions of doses of BioNTech with, with no reported problems. And the reason they were able to go first is because they promised to release their, all their electronic medical records so that we could analyze whether there were going to be any, any rare side effects with the vaccination. And that hasn't happened. So I, I, I don't know what else people are waiting for. I did see an an odd commentary in the South China Morning Post the other day where, where someone said they didn't want to go and get vaccinated because other people weren't either. But that seems like a, a strange argument to make that, you know, it's kind of maybe selfish to say that I, you know, I, I don't see why I should do something because other people aren't doing it. But uh, I think we've all got to, to think about the community because we can't go back to normal until we get a high vaccine coverage. Um, somebody said to me... Uh the trouble with the Sinovac um, is that if everybody in Hong Kong uh, got vaccinated, uh, because of the efficacy rate, you would still, which is 60-something percent, say 62 percent, you still only have 62 percent 
herd immunity and so you wouldn't reach the 70 desired 70 percent is that maths right is that how it works it's that's a very simple calculation so if you just follow that exact calculation then it, it does make sense and what would happen that does in make that sense scenario, okay. in, that, in that imaginary scenario if everybody got sinovac then actually because the protection against hospitalization or severe disease or even death is really really high with the sinovac vaccine as it is with all the other vaccines then in that scenario it wouldn't matter that we don't have herd immunity because we'd all be protected against being hospitalized or dying from COVID anyway. So in Hong Kong, we'd be a place where there's maybe infections spreading around, asymptomatic, very mild, maybe common colds, but people wouldn't be dying of COVID anymore. So that would be fine. I mean, we'd be happy with that. But the reality is a lot of people in Hong Kong can't get vaccinated or the vaccine doesn't work very well. And for Sinovac specifically, we don't know how well it's going to protect people above the age of 60, above the age of 70, above the age of 80. So if your, your uh, correspondence calculation is, is slightly wrong, and let me give you another version of that. So let's say that everybody in Hong Kong gets Sinovac. It protects most people against severe disease or death, but it doesn't protect the elderly very well against severe disease or death. We don't know whether that's the case or not. Then suddenly Hong, Hong Kong is going to be a place where there's COVID still transmitting around because we don't have that herd immunity against infection. And the elderly are still getting infected and the vaccine is not protecting them very well. And that's really going to be a problem because we're then going to see a lot of impact of COVID. Uh, and that's what we've been trying to stop for the past year. So I, I really think that using more effective vaccines is the solution for Hong Kong because then we can protect the people in Hong Kong that can't be vaccinated or the people in whom vaccines don't work as well. You're saying that we need to, to achieve herd immunity, we need to use a vaccine which has a higher efficacy than the Sinovac does and, or is shown to, to do in the well, tests we, we, so far. We've ordered 7.5 million doses of BioNTech, and as I probably explained last time, I've, I've been saying a few times in the news, actually mm. that could be expanded to 9 million if we, if we use all, all of the stuff in the vials. So that's a lot of BioNTech vaccine. If we use all of that and then make up the rest with, with Sinovac or the AstraZeneca vaccine later, I think we'll be okay. Um, so I, I'm not against the use of Sinovac, I think it's fine, and we do need more vaccines. But I, I think we've got to prioritise the use of BioNTech, and I, I, I really hope that elderly in Hong Kong are going to choose to get the BioNTech vaccine, because that's the one that we can be more confident is going to give them a high level of protection. So even if there is infection around, as there may be in our fifth wave or, or a subsequent wave before we get herd immunity, even if there is infection around, they're going to be protected. Okay, here's a, a message from Matthew in an email. He describes it as an on-air comment and a question. Uh, Matthew says, things are changing first, uh, fast. First this week, we have seen the offence of colluding with the truth introduced and weaponized against Hong Kong medical experts who share facts which make the chief executive and other patriots uncomfortable. It will only be a matter of time before reputable, honest and highly regarded outspoken experts like Professor Ben Cowling are directly targeted and silenced. Second, with the systematic destruction of independent media like RTHK, we are increasingly seeing the daily news agenda, a media cycle dictated by once obscure and almost comical CCP mouthpiece uh, media like Tao Kung Pao and Wen Wei Po. Today's story about Dr Lau being barred from administering vaccines is the most recent example. On the vaccine programme, I'm happy to be going for my first BioNTech jab this morning. On Monday, I submitted a question for expert medical guests which wasn't asked, which I hope can be asked today. Is it true that in addition to mandatory anal swabs for all foreign visitors, that the mainland government is insisting that all visitors must have a mainland vaccine like Sinovac and will not accept the BioNTech vaccine administered by its own Hong Kong government? If so, this feels 
feels like a method to force uptake of its own vaccines, which are yet to even get WHO approval. Do the expert guests think this is appropriate? Professor Cowling, do you want to respond to that? Uh, one thing I would say is that mainland China have ordered 100 million doses of the BioNTech vaccine. They haven't yet approved it. And my understanding is they're waiting for some studies to be done in mainland China to show that the vaccine works as well there as it does elsewhere in the world. But I would expect that in mainland China they're going to start using the BioNTech vaccine fairly soon, most likely in their elderly, because we know that that's a vaccine that can, that can work particularly well in the elderly compared to other vaccines that are available. So I, I, I don't know the current situation of, of whether you have to have a, a particular vaccine to go into mainland China right now. And I hope that we don't go down that road where different countries say you can only get a vaccine passport to travel if you've had a vaccine that they approve. And in mainland China, that, that could be some of their vaccines. And in Europe, it could be some of the other vaccines, but not the Chinese vaccines. I hope we don't go down that path because I, I think it really won't be helpful. But I, to, to, to repeat what I said at the start of this response, mainland China are going to start using the BioNTech vaccine. So, so sooner or later... It will be fine for people in Hong mm. Kong to travel to the mainland having received the BioNTech vaccine. Because they're using it. OK, uh, some specific questions now. Uh, June says, uh, as we know, the Sinovac vaccine is missing third phase stats. This is one of the reasons why people getting vaccinated choose BioNTech. Uh, what happens when someone has taken Sinovac and then decided BioNTech is a superior product uh, due to international travel? First, can the government refuse the request for BioNTech, knowing this person has taken Sinovac? Second, how long can the Sinovac inoculated wait before taking BioNTech? So there's, there's no real scientific evidence on switching vaccines for the first dose and then a switching to a second dose. Uh, the recommendation is that you have the same vaccine twice. Now, there is a study done by, by some of my uh, colleagues at the University of Hong Kong who are going to be looking at switching from one to another between the first and second dose. But um, right now, I don't think that's a, that's a recommended uh, course of action. So for the correspondent who's asking, maybe uh, just go and get the second dose of Sinovac if you've had the first dose, because that's the, that's the recommendation, uh, I think, 28 days later, uh, so that you are fully vaccinated. Uh, and then if you wanted the BioNTech after that, how long would you wait? Uh, there's no data, no recommendations on how long to okay. wait. I would guess it would be sometime, at least six months, maybe 12 months before thinking about a booster dose. Um, it's too early to think about that right now. I think for now, everybody's focusing on getting a high level of cover. Uh, the first dose and the second dose, okay. but, but not booster doses. All right, uh, Jason has a simple question. Any room to reduce or remove quarantine for vaccinated individuals, do you think? So there's two different purposes of quarantine in Hong Kong. There's the on-arrival quarantine for people coming from overseas, and I think that's there so that we can limit the introduction of new infections into the community. Uh, for vaccinated people that come into Hong Kong from Australia, New Zealand, I think it's totally fine to let them come in with an on-arrival test and no further quarantine because the risk was minimal anyway. Uh, and so a vaccinated traveller is even even lower risk. But if there's a person coming from the US, for example, to Hong Kong uh, who's been vaccinated, the vaccine's not 100%. Is, if it's BioNTech, it's 95% effective against uh, mild infection. So that means there's still a chance that that person could be infected, could be carrying the virus. They could even take negative on arrival but later on start to show the symptoms after their incubation period. So it's going to be risky, and I'm not sure the government's going to go for uh, skipping the on-arrival quarantine for places where there's a lot of COVID for vaccinated travellers. Now, the other thing that we use quarantine for is the tracing of confirmed cases locally. 
So when there's confirmed cases, their close contacts are traced and sent to quarantine camp, maybe Penny's Bay, maybe somewhere else. That, I think, could be switched for mandatory testing for people who are fully vaccinated mm-hmm. because it, uh, it, it would make a lot of sense. The vaccinated person has got a much lower risk of being infected after they're fully vaccinated. And so switching the quarantine out to a, maybe a mandatory testing at, uh, immediately and then after 12 days, uh, seven days or 12 days, I, I think that would make a lot of sense. And that would be an incentive to encourage people to get vaccinated. But I'm not so sure about the, 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 the travel uh, the travel issue. Maybe, maybe we can consider having um, uh, travel bubbles, travel corridors with, I don't know, the mainland, with Singapore, with with Taiwan, with Australia, New Zealand, and in those travel bubbles, maybe vaccination would be one of the components, and then we wouldn't need quarantine when we go there and when we come back again. And that that would require, I think, Hong Kong to be at zero, and the destination to be at zero, and then we're we're back to to what we talked about with Singapore a few months ago about having that travel bubble and mm-hmm. having vaccinated travellers would, would be a, a sensible uh, strategy for those kind of bubbles as well. But remember that not everyone in Hong Kong can be vaccinated. So if you start having requirements on vaccination, it can get a little bit unfair. Maybe for someone who's got, got a lot of allergies, they shouldn't be vaccinated. But I, uh, I don't like the idea of saying that that person is not allowed to travel um, and it's through no fault of their own that they can't get vaccinated. Well, Qantas has come out very strongly. Alan Joyce, the Irish CEO, I think it's the CEO, uh, came out saying absolutely Qantas will insist on vaccine certificates uh, and he encourages all the governments and all the other airlines to do the same. Now, do you think there's a kind of herd contagion thing that once one major airline does this, the others will all follow suit? Well, let's see, because I think one of the other, the other issues for me is how long these kind of passports would be necessary would be in place. If, if someone like Australia can reach herd immunity locally, then I suspect it's going to try and open back up and not worry so much about in, whether infections come into the country or not. And in that case, the, it would probably be, be a, a moot question about whether you need to be vaccinated to travel or not. They'd, they'd maybe just open up to tourists from around the world. Uh, maybe the, the vaccine passport thing would just be a short-term measure as part of travel bubbles. Okay. Um, lots of uh, questions. All right. Uh, Maggie says, uh, Ben Cowling just said, I don't know what else people are waiting for. Another issue is that people are waiting to see if China will only accept the Chinese-made Sinovac. My husband would prefer to take the BioNTech one, but he needs to travel to the mainland as soon as possible. And is concerned China will only allow people to travel into the mainland if they've had the Sinovac. They've already said this is the case of people coming in from elsewhere in the world. I guess he's not the only one faced with this dilemma and waiting to see how pan- things pan out with the mainland. That's from uh, Maggie. I think you address that. Uh, Philip says uh, information from people queuing up for BioNTech vaccine being told it's stopped until further announcements. Uh, anything from Dr. Ben? Uh, I don't know what that's this about. This is a Twitter, this is a tweet uh, from somewhere saying BioNTech vaccination stop until further announcement. I've no idea where that picture was taken or what that, what that is about. I think we need a bit more than that, uh, Philip. Uh, Magna says, in reference to quarantines, Professor Cowling repeatedly mentioned that we need to get to zero COVID. Restrictions for the current wave were first implemented on November the 27th, so practically four months ago, and we're still not at zero. Surely that shows that our measures as implemented are ineffective. Why does Professor Cowling that we need to take months rather than weeks to get to zero? Please compare and contrast New Zealand, Vietnam, Australia and so on. Each of these have dealt with similar size outbreaks to us within a matter of days or weeks. In contrast, we still have business closed and schools compromised. Success 
successful countries all have restrictions on all indoor settings, i.e. including people's homes. Worth noting that when Victoria listed its recent seven-day lockdown, the one restriction they kept in place was the restriction on gathering in each other's homes. So in Victoria, people are free to go to bars and schools are open, but people are still not permitted to uh, to mix in each other's homes. Any comment on that, Professor Cowley? Yeah, so the the measures haven't been in place for four months. Actually, they were in place for about three months, and then they were relaxed uh, around Chinese New Year. So right now in Hong Kong, a lot of the measures that were in place have actually been relaxed before we got to zero. We're still at a low level. If we have a bit of luck, we will get down to zero. But I think the reason that the fourth wave dragged on for so long is is because the responses, the the, the social distancing responses to the the measures weren't as maybe good as in in the previous waves. There's a lot of fatigue, a lot of tiredness with the measures. And it's true that, that other places like Australia, New Zealand, managed to get numbers down to zero much more quickly. But they had much more drastic measures. So that's an option for, for the government in Hong Kong to consider if we were to have a fifth brief to, to just ask everybody to stay at home for, for a couple of weeks to, to aim to get down to zero. Uh, that's not something that we've tested out before. But it is it's an option, and that's, that's what's been done in the mainland as well. Mm. Okay, uh, a Hong Kong parent says, currently all playgrounds in Hong Kong are shut, children are about to go on school holidays, and there are no playgrounds or beaches open. Is there really a risk of children playing outdoors? Ocean Park is open, the elderly exercise stations at parks. Children need exercise probably more than uh, adults. Uh, as I say, from a Hong Kong parent. Uh, Paisley says, while Ben Cowling supports that the government maintain a quarantine policy for arrivals, would he support, A, a reduction to two weeks hotel stay for non-vaccinated individuals, B, zero quarantine or no more than one week home quarantine for vaccinated uh, individuals? If government doesn't modify its current three-week policy, our hospitality and retail sectors could collapse without tourism. That's from Paisley. I think that's something that you've kind of addressed. Um, yeah, I, I, I could say, I could say one, one little bit more that... Mm that I think we could go to a risk-based approach where you could imagine gradation of risk. So the mainland, Taiwan, Australia, New Zealand are really low-risk places right now. Yeah. We could think about having a shorter quarantine for them and even shorter for someone who's been vaccinated. But we already but then do. for the high-risk locations, I, I think it's still, a, it's still a big risk for Hong Kong. Professor yeah. Carolyn, we already do. It's 14 days for the mainland, Taiwan and Macau at the moment. That's right, but not Australia and New Zealand where there's, where there's zero cases. Hmm. Okay, uh, this is from Doug, who says, are people still contagious after 14 days? If it takes four to five days before showing symptoms, asymptomatic aside, just because somebody's in quarantine for 12 days and testing positive, are they contagious? South Korea stopped looking for a negative test after 14 days quarantine as the PCR test is super sensitive, so you can still test positive but not be contagious. Hong Kong has done a great job, but at what cost to lives and the economy? We need to move on. That is uh, from uh, Doug. Uh, And uh, Mark says, if I've been vaccinated, why do I need quarantine at all in Hong Kong? Never mind debates about two weeks or or three weeks. Again, I think that's... uh, that's uh, something that uh, you've addressed. Uh, a couple more comments here. Uh, Din says, uh, continuing reports of BioNTech hospitalizations in local online news, but not in mainstream. Fake or cover up. Either way, it needs to be resolved as soon as possible. And uh, Jay says, any comments on why the community vaccination centres are only drawing five doses from each via of BioNTech vaccine, while most countries are trying to get to six, if not seven, from each vial? I think we should be trying to get six doses from each vial. The, the mm. US FDA has approved it, the European Medicine Agency in Europe has approved it, but in Hong Kong we're a little bit behind. I think we're just following the original instructions on the box, which said 
draw five doses from each vial. But in these other places, they've realized that you can safely get six. You just need to use the right kind of syringe, which we're actually using here in Hong Kong. So, so I really think we should start getting six because otherwise we're, we're kind of wasting vaccine. All right. Um, there's some clarity on that, that uh, picture uh, that we mentioned. Patrick says, regarding the tweet that Philip sent, my helper just received a photo from her friend who was meant to have the BioNTech vaccine in Yuen Long this morning. A sign was put up saying the BioNTech vaccine was stopped until further notice. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't heard anything about it yet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, Michael says, can people get the jab or the second jab if they're allergic to penicillin? Uh, and is it safe to go hiking and running? Uh, so ask the doctors in the centres. I okay. think they'll direct you to go to a hospital uh, if you've got any any allergies that you're worried about to get the, the BioNTech in a hospital rather than in a community vaccination centre. Um, and then for jogging and hiking, what was the exact question? Uh, is it safe? Of course. Outdoor is the, the safest place to be when there's COVID around, the safest place to be. And your earlier correspondent asked why the playgrounds and beaches aren't open. I think they should be. Hmm. Uh, okay, uh, I think that's pretty much all the uh, all the emails. Some of the, we've had uh, pretty short uh, short answers uh, um, to. But uh, okay, thank you for for covering a lot of ground there, uh, Professor Cowling. As I say, we're going to be joined by uh, a family doctor and also a professor of uh, uh, microbiology from the University of Hong Kong after the news at nine. For the moment, uh, thank you very much indeed uh, for uh, joining us, and thanks very much indeed for all your um, messages. Uh, Any more? Not at the moment. Okay, as I say, we'll get to the second part of the programme and if you've got any strictly medical questions, uh, not so much the public health uh, issues, uh, then that would be the uh, uh, time to do it. Uh, Tobias, just on Facebook, says, Justin Macau stops administering BioNTech vaccines due to packaging issues connected to batch number... 210102. Apparently many Biontech vaccination centres in Hong Kong are closed this morning too. That's the suggestion that we've we've been seeing from uh, those signs. Tobias says it's related to sealing of vials. Okay, can't confirm or deny that at the moment. The weather, many cloudy, 19 degrees the latest readings. Relative humidity is now at 68%. <laughs> that Ingenuity carries a small fragment of fabric that covered the wings of the plane used by Orville and Wilbur Wright to complete the first powered flight on Earth back in 1903. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat this uh, Wednesday morning with Anna Fenton and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about aspects of COVID. We're talking to Professor Cowling in the first part of the programme about uh, public health uh, issues. We're joined uh, between now and 9.30 by Dr. Quan May, who's a family physician, and uh, Siddharth Sridhar, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. As ever, we want to hear your questions. We're trying to give those a uh, priority. You can call us on 233-8826, or you can go to our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Um, or you can uh, email backchat at rthk.hk with your questions your comments and your uh, observations. We were getting those uh, reports uh, that some uh, uh, vaccination centres in Hong Kong had suspended um, distribution of uh, BioNTech uh, vaccine. Um, uh, We can't uh, confirm or deny that uh, at the moment, but it does seem, uh, according to information that I've been sent, 
um, that the Macau government uh, has suspended BioNTech vaccinations and uh, there are problems relating to the sealing of files. Uh, Fosun and BioNTech do not believe any risk to product safety, but they need to uh, investigate. That's uh, according to... Uh, a translation of the uh, Chinese report on uh, a Chinese language report. Um, uh, okay, so if you want to, uh, as I say, talk to our experts uh, this morning, you can email backchat at rthk. Uh, uh, there's a question from uh, Benjamin, which we'll get to uh, in a moment. But uh, let's start maybe with uh, Dr. Kwan. Dr. Kwan, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, so I think one aspect of the um, uh, vaccination program that will be of interest to uh, many uh, is um, uh, domestic helpers, the hundreds of thousands of, of domestic helpers in Hong yeah. Kong, reports that some, many are uh, quite reluctant to uh, take the um, uh, to take the uh, the vaccines. Uh, of course, there are many people in Hong Kong in general who have a kind of reluctance as well. But there may be a particular problem with um, overseas domestic helpers. Do, do you know anything about that? Do you know why that might be happening? Well, I don't. I don't. I don't understand why they are reluctant. But maybe they also hear some of the uh, unfortunate events that has occurred, uh, like a death, and then that's why they are hesitant to take it. But then uh, I think um, they are a group that should take the vaccine because um, they um, uh, take care of elderly people, take care of children, and then um, they do a lot of, uh, of shopping. And then uh, in, uh, on Sunday, they gather around. So I think they are a group that should be taking the vaccine. Mm. Um, the, uh, I saw reported, I think, two weeks ago that the Philippines will only accept Sinovac for as a vaccine. Is it your understanding that that's the case? Because this seems to be causing consternation among the helpers as well. I think now the both, uh, both type of vaccine that's available in Hong Kong, the Sinovac and the BioNTech, are safe. And then, um, well, and, uh, I think um, they can choose between uh, either uh, of these two vaccines. I don't think they should... Uh, uh, I don't think they should uh, uh, choose uh, uh, one over the other because uh, uh, the Philippines only accept one or the other. I think Philippines accept both. Or I, I, I'm not sure about Indonesia, but I think you know, uh, Indonesian government also accepts both. So I think they should choose um, uh, uh, according to uh, what they like to uh, to take, you know, and then according to their own physical health. Maybe if they are uh, have a lot of allergies and if they're scared of taking the BioNTech because of the uh, PEG that is in the nanolipid particle, they can choose the Sinovac then, you know. But I think both vaccines are fit for them. Okay, just, just a clarification. Mr. Pink uh, in an email says, can you please clarify what's going on with the BioNTech vaccines? You reported that they've been suspended. Thanks. That's from Mr. Pink. I didn't report they've been suspended. I said, I just reported that, uh, that we'd, been sent, uh, we'd been sent pictures and I don't know if there are any claims about that. I think there are some problems in, uh, in Macau. I don't know what's happening in Hong Kong. We'll try and find out what's happening in Hong Kong. But we're not, we are, to repeat that, we are not reporting that BioNTech vaccines uh, have been suspended at, at this point. Um, what, what about, uh, from, from a doctor's point of view, a family doctor's point of view, um, what about, you know, people making the decision of, of um, whether they should get vaccinated or not? What, you know, what, what are the sort of uh, the things that might rule it out? Um, what if you're having, if you're just kind of feeling under the weather, uh, if you've got migraines or something like that? You know, when should you take this and when should you not? 
Now, I think vaccines, the two vaccines available in Hong Kong are safe mm-hmm. and uh, people should get vaccinated. And then, but then oh, it depends whether they are fit to get vaccinated, you know. Um, I think they, sh- uh, now, when they decide to get the vaccine, they should decide on which one they would like to, huh? And then whether they're fit for this or the other. Because, you know, like, uh, if you are, uh, uh, um, uh, over the age of, uh, if you are, uh, under, uh, uh, 60, uh, if you're under, uh, if you, for the BioNTech, you can, uh, you can start from, uh, 16 onward, right? Mm-hmm. And then for the um, Sinovac, you only start from the age of 18 onwards, right? And then for and then if you have some allergies to a sort of uh, like uh, the PEG stuff, and then you should not take the BioNTech. And um, then it Dr. also Kong, depends on your own physical condition. The PEG Sorry? stuff, <laughs> what is that for a layman, please? But, but, um, there was a, the, the, a polyethylene glycol that is um, present in the nanolipid particle of the BioNTech um, um, a vaccine. So if you're allergic to that uh, particular chemical, you should not take the... Now, how would you know if you were allergic to that? Where else does it show up? You, 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 you can't tell. So you have to go to an allergy clinic to check. And then, but then if you have a lot of allergies, then maybe you have to consult your doctor first before you, you know, take the BioNTech vaccine. If you have a lot of allergy, if you have a lot of allergies, a lot of things, you know. So could you, you get an allergy test? By your eczema, then you should, you know, be extra careful. So could you get an allergy test for this before you have the vaccine? You have to uh, ask the uh, uh, the uh, the university people, you know, to uh, you know to investigate for you, you know. So it was a, it was a very tricky uh, uh, it was a very tricky uh, uh, thing for you to do, you know. It's, it's 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 not easy, and then now if you um if you have any acute condition like if you are sick if you have fever if you have gastroenteritis if you have a running nose or whatever if you have any acute condition you should not take any vaccine on that day all right you have to wake up for your acute condition to subside first maybe wait for seven seven days then you can get your vaccine if you have any chronic medical conditions like if you have um, you know hypertension diabetes and then heart problem that is not well controlled. Like if you're in heart failure, if your blood pressure is very high, your diabetes is not well controlled, then you should not take it until it is well controlled and assessed by your specialist. But then otherwise, you know, if everything is fine, if you're fit, everything is fine, then you can choose between either the Sinovac or the BioNTech. Okay, um, so here's some questions from uh, just just on on the question of the uh, the uh, Biontech. Um, the uh, newsrooms are just uh, uh, investigating that, and uh, I think talking to the hospital authority about what's happening there. Uh, Matt says, "I have questions about the Biontech vaccine due to confusing reports in the media." Okay, three three straightforward uh, kind of questions, and perhaps uh, uh, Dr. Kwan or, or, or Professor Sridhar could could address them. Uh, First question: Is the Biontech stroke, uh, sorry, is the Pfizer stroke Biontech vaccine identical to the Fosun Pharma stroke Biontech vaccine? Question, um, Dr. Sridhar. Okay. The Hong Kong government says the vaccine is jointly developed by Fosun Pharma and BioNTech. Is that actually the case, or is Fosun Pharma more to do with marketing stroke distribution, as I have read elsewhere? That's correct. Uh, Fosun Pharma is involved in marketing and distribution in Asia. Okay, not that de- didn't develop it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and third, I understand the current batch of BioNTech vaccine was manufactured in Germany. Will future batches be made in mainland China? That's from Matt. No idea, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. But at the moment, yes, they at are. At the moment, are. it is. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, they're manufactured. Europe, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Benjamin says um, the EMA has re- reported that. Well, I don't, what's what's the EMA? Do you know what's the EMA? European Medical Agency. Okay. Perhaps. Good. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. The EMA has reported that BioNTech vials of vaccine has been going to contain as low as thirty percent mRNA fragments instead of the higher level of eighty to ninety percent in earlier supplies. They've written to Pfizer, but there's been no response. This may negatively affect the efficacy of the vaccine. Is Hong Kong conducting such checks? Do you know anything about that, Dr. Sridhar? I don't believe uh, we are conducting such checks on the mRNA as far as I'm aware. Okay. Do you think we should? Um, well, at, at the moment, I, I, I think we are using pretty much the same product that has been used in uh, phase three clinical trials as well as in Israel during their very successful rollout. So I'm not overly concerned about the um, quality of the product that uh, we are receiving. I mean, barring any sudden revelations from Macau, I'm not sure what's going on there, but uh, I'm pretty secure with uh, what, we are, what we're getting here. Mm. Uh, okay, um, let's see, uh, on, uh, beaches, Gobax says, I understand the reason the government insists on closing the beaches is because they believe the coronavirus comes in waves. Thanks, <laughs> thank you very much indeed for that, <laughs> for that, uh, uh, observation. Uh, Mike says, Dr. Cowling uses terminology that has a dual meaning, it sometimes keeps us uneducated 95 percent efficacy what does that mean 95 percent won't get covid or 95 percent will have improved symptoms before the jab in the usa you have pages of precautions to read and sign uh why not hong kong that's uh from uh mike dr Sudo, do, do you think people understand the the precautions and the contraindications and everything like that but, um uh, the approach has generally been f- for the government to say, ask your doctor. Is that the right thing to do, do you think? Yeah, I think it's a little bit unreasonable to ask everybody to consult their physician before getting a vaccine. I, I, I would say it's a very difficult question for a physician or doctor to ask, especially when there are no concrete guidelines saying, oh, if your blood glucose is, say, about this, don't get the jab. If your blood pressure is about this, don't get the jab. We actually don't have that. So these are arbitrary decisions that physicians are, well, forced to make or have to make when their patient is asking them these questions. So, And we don't do that for other vaccines either. So I, I am generally not a fan of asking people to, you know, consult their own physician. It's kind of like passing the ball to someone else, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I mean, people have a responsibility to know what's going on in their bodies as well. So uh, the information is out there. Um, and uh, and even at the, I mean, CVCs from, you know, my personal experience, if you want to learn more about what the jab is or what the side effects are, what the precautions are, all that information is available on site before you get the vaccine. So, I mean, uh, you know, we, we have a bad habit of skimming past the user agreements on apps and <laughs> yeah. devices. Um, I mean, in this case, it's something that's going into your body, so you should be very clear of, uh, if, if not the real nitty-gritty of the technology, at least what the general contraindications are and whether that applies to you. The CHP vaccination fact sheets are, f- are fairly helpful. They're fairly nicely done, so I would encourage anybody getting the vaccine to have a look at it the night before or, you know, or before you're booking the jab um, to, to if, if you're still deciding which product uh, you want to go for. 
Dr. Kwan, what, what do you make of this? I mean, yeah, the government approach has been generally to say, to encourage people to talk to their physicians, um, not the people administering the vaccinations. They're not, they're not qualified in, in, in this area. But some, as you know, some doctors have said that uh, the government guidelines aren't sufficiently clear or comprehensive for them to give, to give proper advice. Where do you stand on that? A lot of the uh, old folks, and even for the young ones, they don't read any guidelines. They just rush to get their vaccination. Mm. Um, it's should, very I mean, difficult. I know that uh, if, uh, you blame the government did not give you very clear guidelines, but there still there are some guidelines. But the people didn't even read those guidelines, you know. And then I have my personal experience like that. People coming to my clinic, well, they should be getting their Sinovac jab, right? And then they will ask, is this the bond that you're giving me? They don't even know what jab they're getting in a particular clinic or in a vaccination center. They just rush in like that, you know. So they're pretty ignorant. And then, of course, they are, you know, we give them, we hand them out pamphlets and asking them to read all those things. They just couldn't care. They just say, well, well, you just give me the jab, you know, and then you assess for me whether it's a fit for me or not. So it's pretty difficult. No, but what I do in my clinic is that, you know, I would, you know, ask them, you know, personal questions like, you know, I would uh, say, uh, well, check their age group and then uh, check uh, whether they're eligible for it and then ask them for any allergies, any allergies to drugs, any allergies to uh, uh, food and that sort of thing, any current infection, any recent injection of anything, any vaccine, uh, any chronic illness, any medication they're on and then and then uh, take their temperature, measure the pressure and then... Uh, check their pulse before I can prescribe them the jab. But then I, I, I understand if they go to the, if they rush to the vaccination center, then the vaccination center, they don't, they have to rely on you to give them a proper history and a proper count of your own uh, physical condition. But a lot of people, you know, they said they're fine, which actually they're not. And then if you say you're fine and you're walking around and then you can fool the vaccination center and then you get your jab, and that's why some of them, you know, get into trouble. And then they have all these side, side effects and all these symptoms and, you know, and all these, you know, unwell, you know, feelings or whatever, you know, and then and unfortunate events. Mm. You know, it's my experience over this um, about three weeks' time. What if you're kind of not very well at that moment? You're just kind of feeling maybe under the weather or something? You haven't got a chronic disease, but... Maybe, I don't know, you've got a cold or something, or you've got a, a stomach upset or, you know, pains or something like that. You've you got kind of mild symptoms. Should you postpone your vaccination or what do you think? You should postpone. You should postpone, you okay. You are unwell. You may, you, you may have a flu, you may have anything. If you're unwell, now, the, the vaccination is that we're giving you an antigen, giving you something inside your body and your immune system has to work hard to develop the antibody, you know. So you have to be in a fit condition. If you're unwell, you have a stomach ache and you have a gastroenteritis, if you have a headache or whatever, you have migraine or whatever, you're, you're in a track infection or any acute illness, postpone it. Okay. Until you're well, then you're fit, you know. Then you can, your body can, 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 be, can, can develop good antibodies and they can give you a good response. And then if you're unfit and you do something, it will be a big stress to your body and you will feel unwell. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, thanks for that. Uh, Jay says, a new report has come out in one of the medical journals that says it's possible that a flu can overcome the coronavirus 
and the flu season is coming up, but what the government has not told us is the fact that everybody's wearing masks and people catching the flu every year has significantly gone down, so this is not giving us true reports on numbers. If I have an allergy, am I stranded in Hong Kong? Uh, that comes from uh, Jay. Uh, Dr. Sridhar, if, you, if, you, if you've got allergies, you can't take the vaccine. That's going to be quite bad news, isn't it? How are they going to handle that? That's not strictly true. Okay. It applies to the ingredients within the vaccine. So if you're actually allergic to an ingredient within a particular vaccine, then you can't receive the vaccine. But generally speaking, if um, people have food allergies or drug allergies, um, they, they can actually, you know, allergies that are unrelated to the vaccine product itself, they can definitely go and get the vaccine. But there might be a situation where they might have an allergy history that's, uh, say, severe to, say, an antibiotic, right? And then the CVC, the Community Vaccination Center, may say, okay, we're not too comfortable giving you the jab on site. So they might refer them to a vaccination in a hospital setting. So that's possible. So where you get the vaccine may 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 be affected, but uh, if you're not allergic to the vaccine component per se, then uh, it's no problem. You can still consider getting the vaccine. Dr. Siddhar, an earlier um, caller um, uh, emailer asked about penicillin antibiotic. Yeah. Does is is it the case generally that it would be contraindicative to have the vaccine if you have drug allergies to drugs? In my own case, I have anaphylaxia when I get the, the contrast for a CT scan. Would it, is there any test you can have ahead of the vaccine to see if you would react to the, what's in the vaccine? No, unfortunately, uh, I mean, we wouldn't have a test that would predict whether or not you'd have a reaction to the vaccine. So generally speaking, we compare. If you don't have an allergy to what's on the list of ingredients, you can still get it, preferably in, a, in an environment where there's... Uh, where they can revive you. Yeah, exactly, where there's, you know, a resuscitation uh, trolley or whatever. But uh, generally speaking, people with an allergy, history of allergy to something are more likely to be allergic to something else, right? Mm. So if, you're, if your body that kind of reacts to stuff, then you, if, if your risk is probably slightly higher than the average person on the street. But I emphasize slightly, like, um, so the, the way the UK or the US handle this is, I mean, if you have an allergy to something else, you still go ahead and get the vaccine with that understanding that the risk is slightly higher. You do it in a controlled environment. And uh, the vast majority of allergic reactions, if they do occur, are uh, reversible if they're handled properly mm. in, in, a, in a proper environment. Okay, a couple more comments. Uh, Catherine says, yes, there have been biotech glitches uh, today. And... Uh, uh, attaches a, a tweet, uh, and also on our, on our Facebook, I see Marin Pierce is uh, uh, retweeting or reporting a comment by somebody else saying there are problems about vaccinations at the airport today. And so I don't know if those are those are true uh, or not. Um, Magnus says on Professor Cowling's response, he asked a question in the first part of the program. Thanks for the answers. Sorry, but it did not, did not really address the point. Yes, we reduced restrictions one month ago, but we still have restrictions. Please ask any bar owner who does not have a food license how well things are going right now. Regardless, even if it were three months rather than four months, it's of course too much, and the question is why. This was a discussion about uh, how long the restrictions have been in place. Professor Cowling mentioned fatigue. Agreed. When you implement incomplete and thereby ineffective measures 
changes. They don't work as fast as they could, and therefore people become tired and no longer adhere to them. An example being what we see in restaurants every day, where restrictions have been in name only for months now. This is another reason for full measures from the start. Nip it in the bud rather than death by a thousand cuts. Professor Cowling mentioned the alternative is stay-at-home orders. Such a draconian measure is, of course, not the only alternative and has never been required in Hong Kong. The sane alternative is to do what we were doing but simply plug the ludicrous gap in the system whereby the only one indoors areas that we choose not to limit is gathering in private homes. It's a hugely important area and one where measures have no cost. Choosing not to implement restrictions on the private home has kept kids out of school and bankrupted countless businesses. That comes uh, from... Uh, Magnus, thanks very much indeed for that. A uh, uh, couple of comments from Mike, uh, who says 99% of, of doctors in Hong Kong don't have practical experience in treating or even understanding the day-to-day -day updates on the disease. How can doctors give advice when they haven't treated one COVID case? By reading government pamphlets from people that have a high motivated interest of you taking the jab. Mm. Uh, he also says, should you take any prophylactic vaccine in the middle of a pandemic? Honest answer, please. Dr. Sridhar, uh, should you take a prophylactic vaccine in the middle of a pandemic? You mean the COVID-19? Yes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's the only way out, honestly. Because if we don't get vaccinated, we're going to have these endless uh, cycles of increased social distancing restrictions and relaxation. I mean, everyone is sick of it. So the only way out of this is... Um, by achieving what we call herd immunity, the only way to do that safely, expediently, effectively, is by vaccination. Did you get vaccinated yet, Dr. Siddhar? Yeah, yeah, I've got my first dose. And you felt okay? Um, I felt pretty fine. Obviously, there was a bit of pain where I got the vaccine. The second day, I was a little bit uh, weak um, for a few hours, but then I recovered quite quickly. So, I mean, if you can get a day off after the vaccine, I mean, that's something that I would uh, I, I would recommend if you're lucky enough, um, you know, to get a day off work afterwards or if you schedule it just before the weekend so you can have a bit of a break after getting it. Okay. Another suggestion that Biontech was related to a computer glitch. So, uh, so these are just kind of rumours that are going around at the moment. I uh, can't uh, confirm any of them. Uh, ben says, the most suspicious thing about vaccine efficacy is about the meaning of 95% efficacy rate, e.g. for BioNTech. What does it mean? It does not mean that 95% of vaccinated people are protected from acquiring the virus. It means that 95% of vaccinated people do not develop symptoms, i.e. you become an asymptomatic carrier. That's from ben. Is, that, is that right, Dr. Sudar? Is that what it means when, they talk about, when we talk about the efficacy rate? Yeah, so what it means is that in a phase three clinical trial setting, people who got the vaccine were 95% less likely to develop symptomatic COVID-19 than the placebo group. So the cases were 95% lower in the vaccine group compared to the placebo group. So that is what that figure means. So when we talk about herd immunity, when we talk about vaccinations achieving herd immunity, that, that, that won't stop the... That doesn't really, really relate to the spread. That just relates to the seriousness of the, of the, uh, uh, of the disease in society as a whole. Is that right? Well, if, you are, if you're protected against symptomatic COVID-19, the good news is that um, you're very likely going to reduce transmission as well because people mm -hmm. are even if they do get infected asymptomatically, 
they are probably going to be less infectious and for a shorter period of time. So all in all, reducing the amount of symptomatic illness by the vaccination is also going to have a favorable effect on transmission dynamics in the community. So, um, and that, that has been illustrated in real-world settings in Israel and now the UK, you know, world leaders in terms of how fast they've rolled out the vaccines. Um, COVID-19 rates are fortunately uh, dropping quite, quite a lot. So, um, of course, that is attributable um, to perhaps even lockdown measures that were there in these countries during the vaccination rollout, but... Uh, um, they're, they're likely to be very, very sustained uh, downtrends uh, because people now have immunity against the virus to a certain extent. Mm. So do you think it's just going to gradually disappear then? Uh, the virus is never going to disappear. It's most likely going to permanently circulate in human populations. But the good thing is uh, we, we all have a certain degree of mem- immunological memory. We have a certain degree of immunity against the virus. So the levels of severe COVID-19, I predict, in the post-vaccination world would uh, drop to very low levels. COVID itself will remain as a kind of circulating seasonal uh, cold and flu virus that we all get once in a while. So it's very likely to get into that. Why I say we can't get rid of it completely is because you can never vaccinate 100% of the world. It's just not realistic. And at this stage, you still have kids, right, who are not eligible to receive the vaccine. So they would still be um, uh, 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 potentially get infected and transmit the virus, etc. So, I mean, it's most likely going to be around forever, but the impact on society is going to uh, decrease. Okay, Mike is back. Mike says, a prophylactic vaccine in the middle of a pandemic where you don't know if you are an asymptomatic carrier gives you a suboptimal resistance. This is the argument that major academics are having, and to dismiss that argument is reckless. That comes from Mike. What's the argument exactly? I don't understand. Is it that you might be asymptomatic and not know it and get vaccinated? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, the current guidance um, is that even if you have developed an asymptomatic infection in the past, go and get the vaccine, let alone asymptomatic infection. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can still go ahead and get the vaccine. It, there are absolutely no safety signals that it has any kind of adverse effects in people who have had COVID-19 previously. So you don't need to get an antibody test before getting the vaccine or anything. You can just... Uh, Go ahead and get it. Uh, OK. Uh, right. From uh, RTHK Online News, sources say vaccinations will suspend Biontech jabs. Uh, OK. Well, we'll watch that with uh, with uh, interest, uh, see what happens uh, there. Uh, one more comment from Horatio, who says... On Facebook, the CE says she will personally look into the policy of 21 days quarantine. Hang on, we all know what happened last time she decided to personally look into a policy in 2019. That's from uh, Horatio. Dr. Kwan, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us this morning. Dr. Kwan Kame, a family physici- physician, and uh, Siddharth Sridhar, clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you uh, both very much indeed for joining us. Many thanks for all the uh, very many uh, questions and comments uh, we're fielding. Um, this morning, the weather before we go, it's going to be many cloudy, sunny periods, temperatures up to about 24 degrees, sunny periods with temperatures rising in the next couple of days, humid at the weekend and rather warm. 20 degrees at the moment, relative humidity 66%. Online scams are everywhere these days. Be careful or you may suffer financial losses. Watch out for phishing emails and fake websites. 
don't trust supposed online investment experts who promise to make you money. And beware of online dating scams. The tactics may differ, so take extra care when it comes to parting with your money. Don't fall prey to online financial scams. For more information, visit ifec.org.hk. 9.32, the news with Samantha Butler. President Biden has urged U.S. Congress not to wait another minute to bring in a ban on assault rifles and tighter checks on gun owners. He said he'd been devastated by another killing spree in Boulder, Colorado on Monday when a gunman shot dead 10 people at a supermarket. Exit polls in Israel's fourth general election in less than two years suggest the Likud party, led by the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, could win the most seats but without winning a parliamentary majority. Mr Netanyahu said the vote was a huge win. And Washington has played down the first missile test by North Korea under the Biden administration, saying the United States is still open to dialogue with Pyongyang. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? Well, not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zip. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Well, hello and welcome to Wednesday. It's the Morning Brew once again, halfway through the week. Well, here's what's happening today. After 10.30, it's our weekly chat about all things classical music with composer and conductor Colin Touchin. So today, in 1721, musical genius J.S. Bach dedicated his six uber-famous Brandenburg concertos to some random nobleman geezer in Brandenburg. But why? And moreover, actually, why is Johann Sebastian Bach considered to be the man, musically speaking? Colin will provide. And we've got some lovely clips to play as well for you. 11.30 plus, Philippe Devar from RTL France will be with us for more Wednesday chat and French music. Chris Watts is back at 12.10, live from his Motion Dynamics studio in Central. Join him on Facebook Live to find out about referred pain causing headaches and some very cool new stuff about your genes and, you know, the, you know, the ones with the G, not the J. And any questions you have, we will be on Facebook Live and Morning Brew, as always, is the page.